Just a heads up before we get started. This episode discusses the passing of Kai Davis. Hey, it's Corey. This is Here We Are. Zoe Allen is a junior sociology and American studies major. Zoe is Anishinaabe and a citizen of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe of South Dakota. She's from South Minneapolis and the White Earth Reservation, uses she, her, hers, and right now she's staying in St. Paul. If you don't already know Zoe, she says she's probably best known for her work with Jennings Mergenthal and Proud Indigenous People for Education in getting the Board of Trustees to rename the Humanities Building. I would say that's probably the most, like, prominent thing (laughs) at this moment, and that's also something that we're both really proud of being a part of. So I went home for, I believe it was spring break, and there were like rumblings of, you know, the pandemic being hitting us really hard through the fact we might have to not come back to school. Um, but I don't think at that point any of us were really taking it seriously. I mean, I definitely wasn't. I feel guilty about that. But also we were just kind of living in ignorance. So I came back home, just thought it was going to be normal. I thought I'd be returning to school and then ended up school just being completely canceled. As the year progressed and things got even worse, it just my mental health and how I was able to deal with everything just kind of eroded. And I mean, really the summer hit and, you know, I was relieved to be done with school, but then everything really took a different turn with um, the uprisings in Minneapolis. I remember being with my family a ton, obviously, and just kind of being in my own world. I mean, school was ending, so it was like that kind of relief of being done with classes and like time to relax and celebrate, whatever. Um, And then, yeah, the video surfaced of George Floyd and... I just like, and everybody in my family, we were just all glued to the television for like, you know, weeks. Um, and my dad would just have it on like all night and would just be watching TV and just seeing what's happening. And we were just trying to like process everything. And, you know, cause that's, I, I grew up like not too far from 38th in Chicago. I lived by Powderhorn Park on um, Oakland Ave. So really not far away. That was really like our neighborhood. And um, my parents had worked in the area for like 20 years. So it was just like a huge shock, of course. Um, and we, we knew like Philando Castile, like we had been through it before, but um, just the public nature of Floyd's murder um, just kind of shook us all to our core. I think the... <laughs> One word I could describe was just kind of like, well, I guess two words, just a shock and like overwhelming of emotion and not really knowing what you can do to help. There's just a lot of anger, a lot of anger. And around the same time, we found out that my uncle was in hospice and was passing away really soon. My uncle Mark had struggled for a really long time with alcoholism. So we kind of knew that, you know, he wasn't going to make it to be a much older person. Um, But it was hard because he had lived with us before. Like, he was someone that was really prominent in our lives. And his family, his son and um, other family members had called my parents and kind of told them what was going on and, like, what their plans were. And I think they just um, cremated him and... 
I'm not really sure if they did like a burial or if they're doing spreading of the ashes. Um, but it was really hard because, you know, we definitely would have gone and been there had it been a normal year. But not being able to like gather and kind of honor the life of somebody that meant a lot to you was really, really hard. Not being able to be there with other people and grieve together, I think kind of like almost stunts your reaction to things. And, you know, my dad's, my dad's native, my mom's white, and I had never seen, I mean, I could tell he was so upset, but he has a hard time, like, really showing emotion, so um, his, his way was, like, to stay up every night with the fire and watch the news. So it was, like, family death, and then a very public community death, and not really knowing how to process either. I was supposed to move on the 1st of June um, because that's when my, like, lease began. I was really hungry for it because I had been with my parents. <laughs> I'd been with my family for, like, months. And as wonderful as they are, you know, you reach your point with family eventually and you all kind of... And because we were all in such a negative headspace with all the grief, I think it was really hard for us to all be together still and to kind of transform those feelings into something else. Obviously, that didn't happen because the city was in a lot of turmoil still, and it just wasn't really safe to travel down there yet. Uh, it was so evident in the ways that I was like speaking to the people who were in the room that I was going to be subletting from, and she was like, um, "Yeah, the room faces Snelling, like a very busy street. Does that is that okay for you? Do you want me like board up the windows or something?" And I was like, "Whoa, like you know, I've been living in the country, like it." It's been happening around us as well, but just not in the same way. And so it was like very, like a very like tangible and like visceral thing for her to say that to me. I was like, wow, it's still really, really dangerous. And so, yeah, I waited a little bit and I think I moved on like the ninth actually. And things had kind of, uh, I don't want to say calmed down because I was in very full support of what was happening. People burning and looting. I really supported what people were doing to you know, express their grief, but it was at least a little safer to travel and there wasn't a lockdown anymore. So then I moved in and I moved into a house with people I had never met before, which was a really big transition. And going down, I mean, I was really nervous, didn't really know how it would be. I think it was just like, well, I wanted them to like me. <laughs> I was like, I'm living with them. They're all, and they're all seniors. So there's that age difference as well of like me finally having friends that are a little bit older and wanting to impress them and, you know, just get along together. And since we were in COVID, I was like, well, we're going to sp be spending a lot of time with each other. So I really hope that we like each other and can be good friends because a lot of my friends weren't in the cities. Plus, all the people I was living with were, you know, not people of color, so they're all white. But they're really loving, they're really welcoming, um, and they really, they like helped bring in all my things, and I just kind of knew like right away, I was like, okay, I think this will be okay, because they're already like helping me out, they already want to get to know me, they're already including me, and they were just really kind, and, you know, I, I don't think I had told them what had happened necessarily, because it was pretty early, like, <laughs> 
and I really want to walk in and be like, yeah, so my uncle just passed away, and like, this is what we've been going through, but eventually, once we, once we built some trust with each other, and like, they really got to know me, I, I opened up, and really opened up, because it takes me a little bit with new people, um, but they were so receptive and caring, and they all just have very different personalities, but they really work well with each other so we all kind of had a really natural flow in the house once things were like better established and I really felt like a part of a community again which is something that I had really missed. I think one of the most pivotal moments of this summer that I remember was going to George Floyd Square for the first time. We thought that maybe cops were going to come and like try to tear down the um, square and that was like a constant, you know, threat throughout the summer. And even now, like people are still worried about that, of course. So we dressed up in all black and then got on our bicycles and rode all the way from St. Paul to South Minneapolis. And um, yeah, I went, I went with a couple friends and I was going there with a very like serious intent of like, okay, we're going to like have bodies on the ground. We're going to be there in case anything happens. And they were having like a party. <laughs> It was like, I got there and there was like music and food and people were dancing in the street and, you know, everyone was wearing masks. Like, it was pretty corona safe. We were all outside. Um, But I just started to feel alive again because it was like, here we are in a pandemic. Somebody has been brutally murdered publicly right here. And people are still celebrating this. They are having joy amongst this grief. And that was something that was really transformative to me to realize that you can be grieving and angry, but you can also have joy simultaneous to that. And there's nothing wrong with that because how do you live in grief and anger all the time? It was really a summer of like radical education and also just like a lot of fun. Like we we tried to have fun, you know, simultaneous to everything else going on because it was such a heavy, heavy time to be living in as it still is. Um, but we still wanted to have a summer, and I think we did, and it was really, really beautiful and, and a really nice, like, break from everything that was happening at home. I actually went on a road trip right before... Uh, school started into to the East Coast when we stayed with some friends' family and like at farms, mostly at farms, places that we could camp outside um, and have low contact with people. And that was wonderful. I'm really, really glad I did that. It was kind of a spontaneous thing, but we really tried to stay safe. We got tested throughout it. And so that kind of set me up to, I went into school with like a really positive mindset. Then once I got home, it just, it's kind of like everything fell apart. Kai passed away and my cousin got in a really bad accident. And I'm just realizing a pattern of it's like, there was, you know, a death at school or in the community or just like publicly. And then I feel like I had like a family death, like that was like two times that happened. So again, it was the thing of like not really being able to process both. So I focused more on Kai, even though I didn't know him, I still felt a really like, strongly about the fact that he was gone and nobody was really like pausing like there was no pausing in our school to acknowledge 
his passing. And I just felt like that was so inhumane and cruel to not fully stop school for the loss of a life, such a young life, in such a hard way. His family is dealing with this loss in a whole nother level. But as students and as his peers, like, how are we honoring him? And how is this administration honoring him? Because they weren't in a way that was, like, really stopping things. I attended a lot of meetings, or we had one particular BIPOC student meeting that I went to, and we all just kind of expressed our grief and anger with the school and how they were handling things. And But, yeah, I just I think that's when I really started to get really angry at McAllister and the way that they were treating us. And before that, kind of been like, go with the flow, whatever, it's not that bad. But once I realized that COVID was really, like, going to be here for a while... And the school, there were a lot of things that they were that was going on there that I didn't necessarily think were being handled the best way. I just got really angry. And I think sometimes Mac at Mac were too quick to jump to, well, how are you feeling about things? When really we just need time to process. We need time to sit and understand and feel and move through those that pain to then eventually come to a dialogue about things. Um, but that cannot happen right away. So we were being forced to kind of already speak about how we were feeling because they weren't giving us that time to process. And because of that, just the emotions and the anger were so high and rightly so. So, yeah, I just really wanted to support people in that time and did it from all the way in northern Minnesota because I was home. But it was just like, again, a lot. And I didn't really know how to process it all. In Anishinaabe tradition, you light a fire for somebody to help them pass through, you know, this world and the next. And then you feed that fire every night. So you make a meal and you don't eat any of it before you give some to the fire. And then you make sure it doesn't go out so that that transition is easy for that person. I think it's something that I really I really connect with it because it's not a one-day thing. You know, it's like, it's a process. And you throughout that time, you're really thinking of that person. You're sharing stories, like, um, kind of reflecting on what they meant to you and, you know, how how you hope they end up or who they're visiting now. And so it's it's like a lengthy thing. But I think that, I think part of this year for me was learning how to really honor people that have passed, um, really honor the dead and, and not just in a way that like consoles us, because funerals are such about consoling the living, also in a way that you feel like you're spiritually honoring them. I think a big theme of this year is how do, how do we deal with so much grief? It's been just like insurmountable loss. And I don't have the answers for that, but I do think there are things and people and ways of connecting with people that can really help you move through grief in a way that you can also have joy and, and live within that. One of the things that really has stuck with me with people in grief that are really like feeling it firsthand is to not always ask what they need, but just to like be there and just be of service to them. And I was with my aunt who lost her daughter, who was really, she was like 13. So it was a really, really traumatic thing. And 
she just kind of said to people, like, stop asking me what I need. I just do it. Like, you know, and so learning how to like be that kind of support where it's just like you're quiet and you're there and they will let you know what they need. But also you're just doing what you think is right. I think it really comes down to creating communities for ourselves that hold us and that we feel held by and then to then do that with each other also. It's not just about carrying one person, it's about us all being able to carry each other in our unique ways that we need love and support. And I think George Floyd Square kind of like was that for me when I was in the city because they held, they hosted like an Indigenous Peoples Day and I went with a couple friends and like that was my ceremony for that month. Um, was being there because they really did hold like a ceremony and it was a very sacred space and really beautiful and so honoring of like black and indigenous solidarity that I was so proud just to be there with each other it was really beautiful. I could really feel empowered as an indigenous person but also a part of a community and kind of healing with each other. You can catch up with Zoe on Twitter or by email. She's at Z-O-E-V-A-L-L-E-N at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to Here We Are. The show is produced and edited by me with help from Shania Russell and Catherine Irving. Our music is by the amazing Blue Dot Sessions. I designed our tile art, and special thanks to Robin Anthony Peterson, who put together the portraits on our social media. You can check those out on Instagram and Twitter or on Spotify. That's it for today. I'm Corey Suzuki. We'll be back tomorrow for one more story.